In the spirit of reconciliation, Tabletop Unknown acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Tabletop Hello and welcome back to Tabletop Unknown, the show where we playtest lesser-known tabletop RPGs. My name is Will and with me, as always, is Jesse. I've got nothing funny this week. Yeah, hello. Normal <laughs> hello. intro, love it. Normal intro for a normal, normal guy. Ow. Alright, that one was hurtful. <laughs> I got See, nothing. sipping my tea on a Sunday morning, sleep deprived, and you're fucking... Flossing on me, Jesus. Uh, you know it's 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 because I'm so excited that next week we get to f- like record in person again. I know we're back, baby. Yeah, to so quote exciting. um to quote a, a friend of mine whose comedy show we saw earlier this week, Melbourne's back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we went we went and saw that guy the first time. I remember yeah. we yeah. saw him again. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, how are you going, man? What's been happening? Oh, a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Um, I've just been, uh, in my room, I've been trying to, applying for new jobs, you know, all year. Yep, um, yep. You can hear me through the tears there. <laughs> I'm sipping on a good old cup of twinings right now, having a tea, because yep. there's no loose leaf left. Um, quite mundane, I, believe, <laughs> I feel, is the... Yeah, if I had a stat, my mundane stat would be the highest oh, in a while. Love to hear it, love to hear it. You know, mundanity sometimes is okay. Is that a word, is it? That's amazing. I've th- never heard mundanity. If it is, it is now. Ne- if it isn't, it is now. Yeah. Trust I'm me. I'm going to trust you because you're, you know, because you're a teacher. But <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Anyway, we're not here to talk shit, are we? Mm. We are here to talk a game. Um, because we, we We were bumped back. A season because of this latest 77 day lockdown. Yeah, we were. We were. Yeah. Now that we're out. Now that we're out. Um, yeah, look, the, the lockdown was good. It allowed us to expand and try something different, but we're back and we're going to we're gonna get back on the horse, literally on, and figuratively. Yeah, on the horse. Nay, nay, motherfuckers. Some <laughs> little nice old town road on that horse. Yeah. Oh, boy. Right. Uh, you can tell this is this Sunday morning energy that everyone's been missing. Um, but yes, yeah, so we've, we did Honey Heist. Um, but we are on to greener pastures. We're doing um, doing it live. We're doing it live, baby. So, if you're unfamiliar with the system we were planning to do, and you missed that, the system we are doing is Fiasco, which is a DM-less system. There is no DM. There is no game master. Everyone is on equal ground in this game. Will, why don't you tell us quickly about the publishers yeah. before we move on to the actual game? Absolutely. So, Fiasco. Now, there is a second edition of Fiasco, which I believe was released a couple of years ago. Uh, oh, okay. we, we are looking at um, Fiasco Classic, and I'll get into the differences um, between the two or what I believe the differences are uh, at the closer to the end once we've actually explained the game. Um, so we are looking at Fiasco Classic and Fiasco Classic was written by Jason Morningstar and published by Bully Pulpit Games. Uh, Bully Pulpit oh, that Games. Is a, that sorry. That's a cool name though. Yeah. Bully Pulpit. Jason Morning. Oh, Jason no, Morningstar. Jason Morningstar. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <Holy laughs> Absolutely. Shit. Yeah. It sounds like. Give uh, that man a main character arc right now. Yeah. Some sort of prophesized Lord of the Rings type character. So, you know. Well, he coming. 
Mr. Morningstar is here. Yeah. Now, um, Jason... Unless that's a handle. Anyway, anyway. Oh, good question, on. actually. I don't know if that's his real name or not. I, I like to think that it is. I hope so. And that he was sitting in some someone's, some poor person's, like, English class in year eight. Mr. Morningstar, <laughs> go to the principal's office. Yeah, so Jason Morningstar has uh, designed quite a few games for Bully Pulpit Games, especially. He's designed mm. uh, another game that we are looking to cover at some point called Night Witches, which some people mm. may have heard of. It's uh, it's about the, um, the the female bomber regiment in- uh, sorry, the Soviet female bom- bomber regiment from World War II. Uh, he's also- um, uh, actually, let me just make sure that he actually wrote this one because I don't want- to- no, it, he did not write that one. That's okay. Um, but Bully Pulpit Games have also published quite a number of games, one of them called Starcrossed, which is a, a fairly famous two-player RPG uh, game. So, yeah. Um, so, quite a bit there. Quite a bit. For, quite a for bit. For all Bully Bullpup? Yeah. Is that, what, is that what I said? Bully Bullpup? Uh, right? bully, bully Pulpit. Like, uh, pulpit. like yeah, like Get the priest stands at the pulpit type thing. Getting there on Get Sunday. Didn't there, right. boy. So, well, this system seems quite different, quite asymmetrical, quite mm. atypical to your average tabletop role-playing game. And personally, I believe it is barely a game. And I I was speaking to one of our players the other the other day. Yeah. And she was a bit stressed about it. Because she thought she could fuck up. And right. I had to explain to her. And I'm like, there is... You, you can't really fuck up. There's no winning. No, that's it. That you, you can't do anything wrong in this game, which is wonderful. She was like, oh, what, but I might have to keep secrets. I might have to not say things. And I was just like, no, 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 no. You do not win. You do not lose. It's collaborative storytelling at the purest form. The This system, I believe is just a framework to actually do that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's pretty much it. Like, you know, if you were looking at Dungeons and Dragons and how that is a system to fight people, essentially, and then everything else is secondary, this is a system to tell a story. Yes, so. absolutely. It's very, very focused on um, storytelling, on building characters and webs of relationships and and uh, events to create this sort of, like, movie-like experience. And they, they do actually use um, a number of movies as the inspiration for this type of game. If you've seen ever seen uh, movies like um, Fargo or Burn After Reading, those, those really great Coen Brothers movies, um, there's also a simple plan and blood simple which they mentioned specifically as being inspiration for these these types this type this game yeah okay um so yeah it's it's um it is hard to approach this game because or at least as you know people who are used to creating characters and learning rules and you know crafting a story and stuff it is hard to approach this game without any prep and i think we actually said that just before recording that it feels like this like we've done nothing for this game because we have done nothing for this game, you know? Yeah, this is one of those... This is a system that requires and actively asks you not to prepare anything. Yeah. And it, it even says in its sort of opening dialogues that if you come into this game with an idea of a character, to just get rid of it because you want to create something in relation to everything else that's being created at the same time. So don't go in with any preconceived ideas or notions. Just yeah. You want to go in fresh, see what happens... And then create your characters from there. So, which is so interesting and it's so counterintuitive, at least for what we've done on this podcast, which is, you know, one of us will 
you know, take on DMing for the season and we'll prepare and write everything yeah. that we need to write. And then that person will then edit the podcast. And, you know, then it, cr- it goes along that person's tone. Whereas this time, Will, you're sort of taking on that role, but you don't actually have to do anything no. other than the editing. No, it's which means not- you don't <laughs> you don't know what you like. You're going to you're going to get it. And then you'll be like, okay, I have to do something with this now, <laughs> opposed to this is what I had in mind. So but on the plus it's already side, very exciting. On the plus side, though, it means you guys don't have to prepare yourselves for any sort of out-of-tone Pokemon death. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, some horrible arm removal um, surgery in the bottom of a sewer. Um, it's so good, so good. Um, yeah, no, but I find that really interesting. And it, it does mean that the process for creating this game and creating your characters and all that sort of stuff is very collaborative. And the gameplay mm. even encourages that, which we'll get into in um, just a couple of minutes. But yeah, the gameplay really encourages this open communication, this collaboration. And so, you know, what um, one of our cast members is worrying about, you know, keeping secrets and stuff like that. Like you said, it doesn't come into it at all because there is open communication. That was the thing. I was trying to explain it like a writer's room. It's like you don't need to keep secrets from your other writers. They, they're there to help you write. Yeah, right? Think exactly. Think of it like that. Except obviously not writing anything down. Yeah, exactly. And so approaching this game does require players to come into it with a bit more of an open mind because your character may die and that's okay because it's all about serving the story and serving the greater picture. Yeah. Mm. I likened it to children at play. Yes. Like yeah. Doing make-believe. Absolutely. Because, I mean, that's really what roleplay is, isn't it? Tabletop roleplaying games is just, you know, make-believe for adults that don't want to feel lame in a park and they're going to get arrested because they're too close to children doing weird things. Yeah. But, (laughs) but, you know, (laughs) these games facilitate a form of play which is sort of absent in our lives unless you're an actor, so it's really exciting. Mm. Anyway, let's get into it. So, Will, where do we actually start with Fiasco? What is our setup? How do we progress? Like, where does this actually start? It's all well and good to say there is no no setup. There's no preparation you need to do. Yeah, you can just pick up and play. But where where do we actually start? It seems like it's a bit loose. If there's nothing to do, then how do you actually start? No, no, great question. Because yeah, like like you said, there it's called a no setup game, but a, a, a small amount of prior thought does need to be put into it, and that doesn't necessarily mean you need to decide anything major beforehand you just need to have access to what are called play sets and play sets are sort of the core of what fiasco is and how it runs um play sets are basically a set of uh relationship descriptors they're a set of um need descriptors object descriptors and location descriptors that really set the tone and um time frame and and style of the game that you're going to play um so play sets can come in a, a multitude of genres and the, the really cool thing about fiasco is that it has a really active um community so mm, bully okay. pulpit really encourages uh fans and 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 players to create their own play sets and there's a website um which we'll put a link to called fiasco just called fiascoplaysets.com that has 498 playsets across eight different languages that have been created by either official creators, so Jason Morningstar's written a number of them, um, but also just just fans. And they cover so many different genres. So if I just pull up the website for a second and look through um, the the genre categories, you have, you know, period playsets, so from the 1800s, from more specific time periods like the 1910s, 20s, 30s, 40s, etc., 
You have alternate history playsets. You have um, horror playsets. Lovecraftian mystery playsets, noir playsets, zombie playsets, uh, time travel playsets. There's, you know, there's playsets that are based on um, IP. So we've got like an Archer playset. There's a, a Big Bang <laughs> Theory playset. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So there is literally so many different ways you can approach this game, all in right, under okay. this same sort of idea of um, a hi- they call it a heist gone wrong genre so basically it's like mm. people with um low impulse control and high ambition doing things and so you know applying that to all these different genres i just seen there's an assassin's creed one that's just sitting there so oh my <laughs> so yeah really now, <laughs> so varied the good thing is if you're a person that is that struggles with decision making and, and you get wrapped with indecision don't get too stressed out because the base game comes with i think it's about Six, yeah, four yeah, or six play sets in it. It does, yeah, and they also cover a, a, a variety of genres as well. So we have, um, let me just get to the start of it, and I'll just read you through them. We have uh, what's called Main Street, um, which just is like um, it, it's described as a nice southern town. Uh, we have what's called Boomtown, which is in the Wild West, uh, Tales from Suburbia, which is in a suburban community, and one called The Ice, which is in McMurdo Station in Antarctica. So even in the, in the yeah, like you said, in the base book, there is uh, a number of different options for you to really sort of dive in and trial different styles and different genres. The good thing I'm already seeing is that this game has limitless playability yeah I mean, absolutely you said there was what 400 and something play sets on there yeah so maybe you can only play this game 400 and something times uh, <laughs> i think you'd probably get sick oh, of no. it before you went through 498 oh, but you know you'd be the same you'd be the same four characters every time yeah. five characters every time wouldn't you um Cool. So we've let we've chosen a playset. Let's say, what's the next step? Yeah. Well, cool. So the next step is to gather together all your players, and you gather up um, a number of dice. Now you need four dice per player, preferably in two different colours, because the colours will come into it sort of later in the game. They don't at first. And these are d sixes. They are. Yeah. Sorry, d sixes. So just four d sixes for each player. Now, the game sort of suggests that it doesn't actually limit how many players you can play with. It does sort of say any more than five or six, you might start to, to sort of feel a bit like it's dragging a little bit. Um, but in theory, there is no upper limit as to how many players that you can play with. But you do need four dice for each player, two in each in, in two different colours. Um, so just for the, you know, the purposes of... of this explanation will refer to them as white and black dice, but I think we'll probably have actually different colours on the day and you sure. might have different colours at home as well. But yeah, just so long as there's two different colours, four dice per player. Of each colour? So four black, four white? Sorry, no. So for each player, two black, two white. Two black, two white. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's all you really need for the setup. You need a play set, you need your dice, and you need your players. Now, um, the way that it plays out is the first thing you're going to do is do what's called the setup. And the setup is where you're sort of defining your relationships and your needs and your events and your locations. Um, And the setup is, again, open communication is really encouraged throughout this whole thing. So talk with your other players about what sort of relationship you think could be developed, what could, how it could be defined further, all that sort of thing. So let me just open up a um, a play set and we'll sort of talk through 
um, options. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to grab all of the dice. So all the dice for all players, and you're going to just roll them on the table. The From there, you're going to take turns either uh, establishing or defining a relationship, need, object, or location. Um, the idea right. is that you- one person will establish the relationship, then the other person will define it a bit further. So if I look at, um, let's say I look at uh, the ice, which is in the core rule book, then that's the one that takes place in McMurdo Station. We have yep. six categories of relationships. So we have work relationships, friendship relationships, romance relationships, crime relationships, community relationships, and soul relationships. Soul. Soul, yeah. So things like um, mm. they, they further defined as the only survivors or the ones who found the body, um, two of a kind, misanthropes, poet and muse, right. those sorts of relationships. Wonderful. Um, so you might, let's say we were trying to define a relationship within our game. Okay. I might choose a dice. So the, the the way that you define these relationships relies on the dice that you have rolled. So the numbers that you've rolled. So these relationship okay. categories are numbered one to six. One is work, mm-hmm. six is soul, etc. I might go, okay, look, I can see that we've got um, a, a four- that we've rolled. So, Jesse, I'm going to establish a crime relationship between the two of us. Hell yeah. So, I take my four and I put it next to me. And there's a lot of resources that are on the Bully Pulpit website that makes all this easier. You can get these little um, reference cards that have all these details sort of listed on them and then you just fill it in. So, it might say relationship type and then you would write it next to it, crime relationship. And then underneath it'll have, you know, um, descriptor or something like that. So, Jesse, I've got my four. I've decided that we're going to have a crime relationship. Now, I don't get to sort of further refine that. Under crime relationship, there is also six different types of descriptors. So, what sort of crime Ooh. relationship are we going to have? This is exciting. That is, that's where you come into it. So, on your turn, you might go, okay, look, we've got this crime relationship. Um, we've also got a five there. So, I'm going to say that we are hoodlums. And then we would sort of have a hoodlums. chat about what so- sort of hoodlums we are. They they go, they have in brackets, you know, they could be sports enthusiasts or drunkards or delinquents, you know. So, we would go, I've defined the crime relationship. You've described it as a hoodlum crime relationship. So, let's sort of have a chat about what that might look like. Two chads on the ice <laughs> that don't know when to quit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And that's basically us in a- from Canada. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then look, it goes the other way as well. So you might go, okay, look, well, we've got this crime relationship and we're hoodlums. So I'm going to define a need. And again, needs are broken down, you know, objects are broken down, locations are broken down. All of these are broken down into six categories with six descriptors underneath them. So it's all worked out via what sort of dice you roll. Okay. So you need one of these relationships for each player that is next to you. Each player that's next to you. Yeah. So we're going to sort of be sitting around a table or around a big table to make sure we're maintaining social distancing. Um, and so, like, you might be on one side, uh, one of our players, Jenya, might be on my other side. So, we would both have, um, I would have a relationship with you and a relationship with Jenya, not necessarily a relationship with Tim, who's our other player for this game. Yeah, um, I see. Yeah. So, def- so, yeah, it does sort of work on each side of you. Great. Maybe we'll sit opposite to each other. Yes. Just to keep it fresh. I think that would be, uh, I think that would be a good way to approach it. Smart move. Now, you said there's also objects and locations. How do they come into establishing the setup? So, pretty much each, like, like I said, we developed this sort of web of relationships and each relationship needs 
inside of the relationship, either a, a need or a drive, an object or a location. So we don't need one of each of them. We just go, okay, look, uh, you know, Jesse, we've we've established this um, this crime hoodlum relationship. You might go, okay, cool. So I'm going to define a location for that. We've got, you know, our dice rolled. I'm going to define the location as the uh, uh, as the the Wendell's the Wed. I don't know how to say that. The Weddell C. Okay, so you're defining the the location, which mm-hmm. I would then go, okay, cool. So I'm going to add the the descriptor to that location so it sort of I works see. the same way but in opposite yeah you've yeah. you've given us the location we are i'm going to say okay cool we're on top of iceberg b15 okay does that sort of now, make sense it does yeah but so so that's for location do you also need a need or drive as well or is it only one no so it's only one of object thing. need or location per relationship right i see yeah cool so, right. you know, we might have a location, Jenya and I might have a, a an, an object, um, yourself and Tim might have a need, but not not everyone's going to have, the, you know, three of, yeah. one of each. Does that make sense? So as you're choosing these, you're choosing the um, specific dice and taking from the middle dice pool. Yes. So they become, so they disappear. And then once all those dice are gone, yep. then you create characters. That's correct. Yeah. So the, the, once okay. the dice are all gone, you then sort of create your character a little bit more. So the idea is that you don't know who your character is going to be at the start of the, this whole process. But by the time you've done this process, you should through communication and through the dice rolls and through sort of establishing these objects, needs, locations, relationships, be able to determine who your character is, where they fit into the whole scheme of things that's going to play out. Wonderful. Mm. And then, so once you've done that, you put all the dice back into the middle. Yep. And then you essentially start, don't you? Yeah. How do we actually, I know that we we then start doing scenes, but can you talk us and explain to us playing through scenes? Because this is the core component of the game. Yeah, okay, so then we get into sort of the meat of the game, and the game is structured in four sort of phases. First up, we have Act 1, which is where everything is sort of being established and being set up, and the the story is really being sort of play set using all of the the descriptors and relationships that we've built. Um, Then we have what's called the tilt, which is where things start to go wrong or we decide what's going to go wrong. Um, then we have act two, which is the the story is continuing. The tilt will come into it at some point and I'll get into what the tilt is in, in a couple of minutes. Um, and then we have the aftermath and the aftermath is sort of a descriptor. Oftentimes it's, it's um, just a quick montage um, as to what has happened to the characters and where they've ended up and where they've found themselves. Yeah, okay. Similar to what we did at the end of, um, Stolen by. Yeah, similar to that. So, you know, you will write just a little sort of epilogue for your character. Over the credits. Over the credits. Yeah, over the credits. Um, So, yeah, for- Look down the barrel of the camera, name appears. That's it. Yeah, the door opens and it cuts to black and 20 years later, people are still trying to work out what it means, that sort of thing. Harry Potter puts his child on the train. (laughs) And has named him after the worst character in the entire... Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bad CGI. Um, (laughs) God. uh, So, yeah, that's the sort of four-part structure of the game. Now, to play the game, we play what are called scenes. Now, once we have established all these relationships, we put all the dice back into the middle and we re-roll them. 
re-rolling them is important. You can't really change the numbers because that sort of impacts on a number of things later in the game. Yeah. Um, and then what we do is we take it in turns to um, make our character the spot in the spotlight of a scene. And a scene can either be, uh, we can either establish a scene or resolve a scene. Now, a scene is just, as it sounds, it's just a little sort of snippet of conversation or a little snippet of something happening um, between two characters. So I might go, okay, Jesse, I'm going to play a scene with us, our hoodlum characters that are stuck on an iceberg in the middle of uh, middle of the ocean. I'm going to establish this yeah. this this scene. So let's start playing it out, and then we might start having a little improv conversation about what we think our ca- you know. In character, why are we here? here? How do we get here? Oh man, you shouldn't have, you know, shouldn't have hijacked that plane like you did. It's not my fault. I wanted to play the coldest game of hockey on the planet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we're 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 using our characters, even though it's my turn and I'm sort of my characters in the spotlight. We're defining our relationship further and sort of fleshing out what is happening um, in to our characters. Now. That's us establishing a scene. We can also choose to resolve a scene. So if I go, look, I don't really have any ideas as to how my character might start finding themselves. Someone else can turn to me and go, okay, well, cool. I think your character might, um, you know, have gotten to this iceberg because they stowed away on a fishing vessel. And so you both have just found yourselves here. Now resolve that scene. And so- Establishing or resolving a scene, uh, like I said, again, conversation is very encouraged and sort of this collaborative process of deciding how the the scenes should play out is really encouraged. And so what then happens is if you choose to establish a scene, other players in the game will choose a dice from the table and give it to you. Um, Now, when they they, um, give you the dice... The color is important because if it's a black dice, they think that things that the scene is not playing out well for you, or it's not going to ultimately resolve well for you. If they give you a white dice, they mean they think that the scene is is going well for you, and it. <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, uh, and that ultimately the result is going to be good for you. Yep. So you sort of you, your 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 friends around the table can give you the tone of the scene by giving you the dice. Yes. So if we're having a the conversation about, you know, um if if it's let's say the the conversation in our scene turns angry because I'm blaming you for, you know, result for ending up on this iceberg, other players might give me a black dice because they think that's going to come back to to bite me at some point. Because I've blamed you, I've turned on you, you're going to sort of turn on me at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if they give me a white dice, that sort of sets the tone a different way. That might might be them saying, you have set the tone in this relationship that you are the sort of the dominant one because you're blaming him and he's just sort of, he's just taken it. Okay. Yeah. So you start this scene, at some point you determine the outcome, and then depending on if you established or resolved- Yep. You either accept a dice from your friends or you give one to them. Yeah. So if you d- choose to resolve a dice, you uh, sorry, yep. resolve a scene, you take a dice and you give it to someone else. And again, the, the color depends on how well you think that scene has gone or is going to ultimately go for um, that person's larger story. So Great. Okay. yeah, it's, um, it's a really sort of- And that's the outcome dice, isn't it? That's what the outcome dice is. Yes. You going, this is how I think this has gone. Here's your outcome dice. That's correct. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. And so that sort of um, just happens. We, Like I said, we each take turns playing scenes, either establishing or resolving. And in Act 1, we play two scenes per character. So we just go around the table twice, either building on, ex- you know, the framework of what's come before or sort of, um, you know, yeah, establishing and resolving more scenes. Okay. Okay. So you keep going around um, two, two scenes per person and then... When only half the dice remain in the central pile, that's the end of Act 1, It right? is, yeah. And that's when we do what's okay. called the tilt. Now, the tilt is where it gets a little bit tricky and where, you, you know, you have to do a little bit of thinking. Okay, so in front of you, you will have um, a bunch of dice that have either been given to you or gifted to you through, um, you know, establishing and resolving scenes. They will be in two colours. The first thing you need to do is roll all of those dice. So you pick up the dice in front of you. You might have two, three, four, um, and you just roll them all. Once you've rolled them, divide them into two colours. So you have your black dice on one side, your white dice on the other side. And you take the larger number and you subtract the smaller number from it of the the total of that color. So if I have, let's say I have um, two black and two white dice, I I roll them both. I end up with, um, I end up with eight black and uh, three white. I take away the three white from my black eight and I end up with what's called black five. Right. Okay. Okay. I might have one black die and three white die. I might roll a th- you know, a total of three with my three white die and a four with my black die. I still take away that three from the four black and I end up with what's called black one. Yeah. Because you're taking, you're always taking away the smaller number from the larger number. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now- the people who have the highest number of either colour decide on what the tilt looks like. Now, the tilt is okay. basically what's going to go wrong in the story. Okay, we've set up this this sort of wonderful tapestry of relationships and needs and what's happening, and we've started to flesh it out. Something's going to go wrong. And so the people who get um, the highest white and the highest black numbers decide what's going to happen with that. And they turn to um, the tilt table. Now, the tilt table is the same table, even though the playset changes from game to game, the tilt table is the same table regardless of the playset. So it all looks the same. Um, it looks very similar to a playset. You've got six categories and then underneath each you know category, you've got six descriptors. So the tilt mm-hmm. table, um, we go through... So something's going to happen that in causes mayhem or tragedy. Uh, there might be some innocence involved, some guilt involved, paranoia or failure. And the players who uh, are deciding the tilt take the dice that have not been used yet. So we've got half the dice that are sitting in front of all of our players. Half of them should still be in the middle. They take that half that haven't been used yet. They roll those dice and then that's what they use to define the tilt. Right. Okay. And then so obviously you then look at the tilt table with your remaining dice and you work out what like what category and then what in that category is going wrong. Yeah, so so let's say they define a a tragedy um, and, you know, so the tilt that's going to come in is a tragedy and then they've defined that further as death that happens out of the blue. Um, So at some point in Act 2, Act 2 looks very similar to Act 1. We take it in turns playing scenes. But at some point in Act 2, that death out of the blue is going to come into it and that's going to sort of throw a spanner in the works of, of whatever plans had been made. Yeah, right. Okay. okay. Um, there is no sort of set rule as to when that 
tilt can come into it. It can happen right at the start of Act 2. It can happen right towards the end. It can happen in the middle. Again, okay. conversation about about it and what makes for the most entertaining story is really encouraged. Yeah. And so who... Do the people that roll the tilt decide when to use it in Act 2 or can anyone use it in Act 2? Anyone can use it in Act 2. It becomes like a community resource almost. Um, yeah. And so... Look, we might sort of be getting into act, you know, we might roll that, you know, death out of the blue, or that might be decided as the tilt. And as a team, as a cast, we might converse and say, okay, well, it makes most sense that this person's character dies just ran- like just out of the blue, like an accident happens and they die. And then that's going to sort of throw out, you know, the rest of the story. So it, it's very encouraged to, like I said, it's a community resource. Anyone can use it. But again, com- conversation is encouraged to make sure that you're not sort yeah. of ruining other people's experiences, I guess. This is all about, you know, m- creating a fun environment for everyone. Yeah. Now, my understanding is Act 2, very similar to Act 1, the tilt will happen at some point. However, the ending is different. The The final dice is different. So what, what happens there? Yeah, so the only difference with Act 2, um, like I said, it runs very similarly in terms of structure to Act 1. You take it in turns going around establishing or resolving scenes again, keeping in mind that the tilt needs to make an appearance at some point. Um, yep. The, the main differences with Act 2 are that when you get the outcome die, you keep it. You don't give it away. Um, and the other thing is that the last die to use is a wild die. It can be any colour. And the person who is going to give it needs to say what colour it's going to be. Right. So even if it is a white dice, you could say, well, I'm actually giving you a white Yeah, dice. absolutely. Yeah. 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 And cool, it's, cool, it's cool. sort of, I guess it sort of allows for any last minute interesting things to happen. It doesn't mean that, oh, look, I'm, I'm stuck with this white die. So that means that this scene is going to end up well for this person. Um, it just gives you a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. Okay, cool. So once, once that dice is given, mm-hmm. we then move into the aftermath. Yes. So the aftermath and- is where we start to determine what's happened to our characters and where they end up. And the aftermath works very similar to the tilt. Each player will take the the, the dice pile in front of them, roll them, and do the whole subtracting the smallest from the largest number. Whatever they end up with, there is an aftermath table. I won't read through the whole thing, um, but it is broken down into, um, you know, if you end up with flat zeros or if you end up black one, black two, black you know, eight to nine, white three, white five, et cetera. It's all broken down. It tells you exactly what's going to happen. Yep. So let's say I roll all my dice and I end up with white three. The result, the aftermath is going to be grim. It gives you just a descriptor and then a bit of an explanation. So it's going to be grim. The stress and trauma from your little adventure is going to haunt you forever. Bits of your soul are destroyed and you are missing a piece or two. In a few years, children are going to cry when you get too close. All your plans have ended in complete ruin. Oh, me after COVID, am I right? (laughs) Topical humour. Pew, pew, pew. Oh, look out. Coming for you. Um, Comedian. (laughs) New career, man. New career. I like it. New kid on the block. Um, yeah, so that's an aftermath example. Yeah, but they're not all grim and dark. Some of them are pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I rolled a black 13+, plus, 
Uh, the result is awesome. It's insanely great. You will emerge not only unscathed, but if there's a girl involved, she's dropping her drawers. You might even get rich off this caper. <laughs> Who knows? Time for a new ride. Wow. Yeah. So it, it, it is very varied as to what can happen to your character That's based exciting. on the aftermath. So I'm really, really excited. So don't fall in love with your character too much because you might have to kill them. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And that's what they say. They say, accept that your character's death might serve the story and uh, just just roll with it. That's great. Yeah. I like the idea that my character dies in the first, like, 10 minutes and then I just get to be a bunch of random NPCs yeah. <laughs> for the rest of the game. <laughs> that is actually something else that uh, it's not a sta- it's not stated in the rules specifically, but they do sort of I've I've seen um Will Wheaton's tabletop did a a, uh, a, a, a an episode on Fiasco back in like 2012 or something. Wow. And I do okay. I do encourage people to check that out as well if they want some more information on it. Uh, they sort of state in that that if there is any other characters, if there is any NPCs that need to come into this into a scene that's being played between two characters, then the people who aren't involved in the scene can take on those roles. That's exciting. I love that. You know, we're having a conversation in a bar. Um, Jenny or Tim might play the bartender. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be throwing some wacky, wacky characters in yeah. there. Um, <laughs> some old prospectors <laughs> coming at you from downtown. I'm actually a sports announcer. Hello. <laughs> Give my pickaxe. That's a big fly ball going to. Um, unfortunately, given the play set we've chosen, that is entirely likely to occur. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think that's actually um, it's actually a good time to sort of talk about what we're going to do next week because we've pretty much Please. covered the entire game. There's, it's, that's it. It's designed to be very simple. Actually, before we get into next week, I will just briefly discuss... Um, the second edition, because as I said, we're playing Fiasco yes, Classic. Please. Now, it's my understanding, and I haven't played it yet, so please, uh, if anyone ha- knows differently, please correct me. Um, it's my understanding that the second edition of Fiasco actually utilizes cards as opposed to dice. And so instead okay. of rolling dice and, and allocating dice, we're drawing cards and going, okay, cool. So that's the type of relationship we're going to have. That's how it's further defined and all that sort of stuff. That actually so- works really easy because you've got black and red. Yeah. So it's always going to be different. And then, like, you don't need to work, ha- worry about get- sourcing two different colored dice. Only. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's sort of, that's my understanding of the main difference of Fiasco. Um, but I do have a copy of it ordered and I'll update you if, um, if <laughs> I learn hey. Different. Next year, maybe we can do Fiasco 2, Electric Boogaloo. Like Electric Boogaloo, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, but look, that's uh, that's pretty much it. I actually find this the idea of the system really interesting. Um, I am so excited because, yeah, we just get to fuck around, it seems. Yeah, a lot of people that I have seen online talking about it have said that they use it as a tool for um, practicing creative writing, mm, okay. which I think is really interesting because, like, you, you do develop this web of relationships and these, these things and that can help you sort of define, yeah, how you want a book to go. So it, it is a really interesting game and I'm really looking forward to getting into it. But, Jesse, do you want to talk about our guests for next week? I will. We have two very lovely guests um, that, have a, that have agreed to this trial by fire. We have mm-hmm. uh, Tim, who is a DM of mine. He's currently my DM for Curse of Strahd, which is very exciting. I love everything he does. And he was, of course, uh, a clear option when I saw this because his work is very... Um, very good. He's very good at coming up with characters, so I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. And then we, of course, have a mutual friend of ours, Jenya, 
Yep. Um, who, if you recognise that name, that's because uh, in season four, <laughs> I based my character on uh, her as a teenager. I don't think she's listened to that season yet, so I'm in the clear. However, between now and next week, she might listen to it, and in that case, she might kick my ass, or yeah. she might R.I.P. Totally. I don't know. Um, either way, pray for my immortal soul. Um <laughs> Jenya's also a performer as well. So is Tim. Mm. We've done shows with both of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really Love excited. Them both. We're so very excited. I'm really excited. I, I I haven't been this excited since I don't know when. <laughs> I think maybe COVID has really made made some things more exciting than anything has ever been for me because of just being yeah. locked away. <laughs> spoiler um, alert, this is going to be our worst season ever, but we're excited. So. <laughs> oh, spo- rude. Old Prospector announcer is going to take us home. So, yes, to be clear, the playbook we are working with is yep. Boomtown, which is the wild, wild, wild west. There's three yeah. wilds there. It's, um, uh, it's found in the Fiasco Classic core rulebook. So if you pick up a copy of the book, it's very cheap. I think this, uh, I think this copy... Cost me like twenty five dollars or something. It's a fairly cheap uh, game to purchase. That's a lunch out at that's a that's a lunch at a cafe. It is, yeah, on, and it, it comes with Get four on play sets. One of them being Boomtown, and I'll just quickly read the the very brief descriptor of Boomtown Please. for you. <clears throat> The Wild West. Where an ambitious individual just might strike it rich, or just might strike it dead. Probably both. And that's it. Wow. That, I'm so excited because I, I'm i just picturing the music you're going to set behind this, and I'm excited for all that, like... Dun-dun... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I mean, if anyone knows me personally, you know that I'm I am a living cowman, cowboy (laughs) kind of guy. Uh, A cowman. I love it. (laughs) Cowman. Farmer and the cowman. They should be friends. Um, Mm. Little musical there for you. Um, But yes, I love cowboys. So I am diving. I'm doing deep dive for this. I'm so excited, and I know a lot about the West. So diving feet um, first into some uh, spurs. Oh. And leather boots. I mean, one of one of my favorite shows I ever did was Oklahoma, and that was because I got to be a cowboy called Slim for three hours on stage. Of course, just of course screwing around. I had a gun and everything. Yeah. Oh, it was the best time of my life. <laughs> I think I've ever had so much fun. I wasn't. I wasn't. A, I wasn't a lead or anything. I was just a, I was just a cowboy. Yeah, but sometimes that's the best I thing be because you get to just fuck around mate. and no one cares. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, I just, I just wish I was a cowboy so much. Well, I know what to get you for your birthday next year, so. Don't get me a hat. I don't wear hats. No, no, no. No hat. Oh, a gun. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Anyway, I think that's where you need to leave it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, so that is, we are recording that next week. So when you're listening to this episode, uh, we will be recording. And then the week after that uh, will be be episode one. Yeah. Which is very exciting. I'm excited. Great. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and thank you for um, sticking with us through the extended lockdown period. And then, and, and, you know, we obviously planned to have more content a lot sooner than 
um, this. Yeah. And, you know, that's why we chucked that little mini season in there for you all, because we just wanted to give you something to listen to in lockdown yeah. if you couldn't, if you didn't have anything and you were listening to this. And yeah, look, guys, if you are sort of continuing to listen to us, thank you so much. We, we really couldn't do it without you guys. And um, we have a lot of fun doing the show. But yeah, like hearing feedback like we get from you guys about, you know, things that you found interesting and games that you've tried or since gone on to try is really, really exciting for us. So, yeah, thank you for your support. We always love to hear from you. Um, likewise, if you have requests for systems, again, please send them on in. We're always looking for new systems. I mm. now... Constantly, I'm just like looking for cheap sales yeah. online of <laughs> yeah. systems and stuff like that. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah, Kickstarter is getting gr- most of yeah. my money. Oh, God. I know, right? I'm like, <laughs> I saw this one the other day, which was like about Orpheus and Eurydice. Yeah. And it's just a two player one. And I was just like, oh, God, that looks so good. Yeah. But I'm like, I have, I need to buy food. Yeah. Man. Like, <laughs> and so yeah. you, anyway. knowing me, sent it to me and I went, ah, oh, fuck it, I've just backed it. So Correct, yes. <laughs> Mr. Full-time job disposable income, sir. Um, <laughs> purchase this for this guy. Um, yes. Um, thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you. And we will see you next week. Next week. All right, bye. Tabletop unknown.